Many business and branding experts will tell you that trying to be better than your competition doesn't work for a lot of reasons. One of which is better is subjective. So let's take an example. I'm going to throw myself under the bus here a little bit. Let's use Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Now, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is better than Starbucks coffee. Not only is that my own subjective belief, it's one that's not shared by many people at all for good reason. On many levels, Dunkin' isn't a better coffee. They probably don't have the best coffee beans. They're probably not sourced in the best way, probably not prepared with the best water and so on. But if I have a choice between Dunkin' or Starbucks, I pick Dunkin' every time. It's not better or worse than Starbucks. It's different. And in fact, there's a Starbucks across the street from our office. I go there a couple times a week and I enjoy it. It's a very different experience. It's a different coffee drink. It's different breakfast items. I meet people there. It's cozy. There's a whole vibe to Starbucks that Duncan just doesn't have. The point is there's room in my life for both. I appreciate them both. They play very different roles in my day-to-day. So you could say coffee, my coffee and breakfast game is better because I have Starbucks and Duncan. Oh, and by the way, why don't we just throw my local coffee shop in that has better coffee than them both, but it just takes longer to get to. So you see, there's room for all those coffee spots in my portfolio of caffeinated beverages. And it's like that with many things in life and biz, and certainly with a portfolio of funds. Investors likely have more than one manager per asset class, and those managers complement each other. Yet, on the other side of the table, the managers approach the situation as if it's fight to the death, let the best fund win. Today's episode is a challenge to that mindset. We're going to unpack it, and then we're going to talk about how you can identify and lean into your edges because better isn't better. Different is better. Let's dive in. Hey, my name is Stacey Havener. I'm obsessed with startups, stories, and sales. Storytelling has fueled my success as a female founder in the toughest boys club, Wall Street. I've raised over $8 billion that has led to $30 billion in follow-on assets for investment boutiques. You could say against the odds. Yeah, understatement. I share stories of the people behind the portfolios while teaching you how to use story to shape outcomes. It's real talk here. Money, authenticity, growth, setbacks, sales and marketing are all topics we discuss. Think of this as the capital raising class you wish you had in college, mixed with happy hour. Pull up a seat, grab your notebook, and get ready to be inspired and challenged while you learn. This is the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. Okay, I want to start with the idea that the investment industry, contrary to everything I just said, actually does define itself by better. Every podcast guest that I've had has talked about the importance of differentiation in the investment industry, and it's core to the marketing and sales work we do with clients at Havener. So the investment industry, though, has a response to all the branding experts who believe better is subjective. And the response they have is, not here, it isn't. 
our industry believes better and best are objective. Why? Performance, asset center management, MPT statistics, numbers can prove who is better than whom. So better can work here, or at least that's what the industry thinks. Maybe they even think better is best here. I beg to differ. It's a very dangerous way to build a business, and we'll talk about why, and it's also not true. Here's the thing. If better was best, then the data would support that, and it doesn't. The biggest funds are not the best performers. The best performers don't get the most in fund flows. So whatever growth metric you want to look at from a business perspective, head-to-head competition isn't the path to the winner circle. There's more to it than that. Yet, so much of the marketing and sales content in the investment industry is focused on being better than the competition. So the classic example is saying something like, your benchmark or your peers by this marginal amount over some time frame. And let's just be clear, a couple basis points of outperformance does not qualify as a strong differentiator. I mean, even hundreds of basis points of outperformance doesn't qualify. It's not an edge. Okay, it's not an edge. It might be an outcome of your edge, but the performance itself isn't the differentiator. We have to go layer deep. And instead of focusing on marginal difference, instead of focusing on results, what if we challenged ourselves to key in on the real drivers for massive differentiation? I'm talking about the 20% of who we are or what we do or why we do it that is vastly different than our peers. And the same 20% is what's driving 80% of our results. So different is better than better, even in the investment industry. So I had this great study, and I may have to grab a piece of paper here, um, from Bain on differentiation, and I wanted to share some of this with you. So so Bain asked executives whether their company's offerings are differentiated, and about 80% of them say yes. Our company offerings are differentiated. But if you ask customers of those companies the same question, only about 10% of them will agree. Okay, that's a pretty big disconnect. Or ask a company's management team exactly what it is that makes their products or services different from competitors. And you'll often hear as many as a dozen different responses. And yet, if a company isn't clearly differentiated from competitors, it essentially has no strategy. This is still the Bain study. The assets and capabilities that form true differentiation are your company's crown jewels, determining whether you outperform competitors. You dig? We all think we're different, but the reality is our clients, our customers, our prospects don't perceive that differentiation. And by the way, that's where brand really lives is in the minds and hearts and souls of our customers. And I think it highlights a real challenge that we have which is we can't define what really makes us different. So I want to stay with that a little bit because the secret to differentiation is really to go to the edges, 
okay? It's to get radical. It's to find your fascinating. And I don't know if you know Sally Hogshead. She's one of my favorite experts on differentiation. Also, can we talk about how different and awesome her last name is? She has a great, a couple great TED Talks and she actually kind of talks about her last name. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Anyway, here are some of the things that, that Sally talks about. And I think they will get us thinking. So 90% of people think they are more intelligent than the average person, but only 39% believe they are more fascinating. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why that makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh. And yet 80% of people behave differently when they are fascinated by a brand. They do research. They talk to friends. Fascinating brands and people create a physical response. Better is not better. It's actually worse. This is all kind of Sally Hogshead language here. And she says, better keeps you chained to the same way of working as your competition. I think that is so true. If we are trying to compete at a level of I'm better than this person or this company or this fund, we have to compete the same way that they are. It's very hard to stand out when you're doing the same thing as everybody else. So Sally continues, she says, being better is temporary. It's a flimsy advantage that can be toppled in a millisecond by someone with a bigger following or a lower price or better location, a shinier award, a newer technology, or a fancier degree. And then I would add to that in the investment industry or better performance. It's not enough. Instead, think about what makes you radically different. What makes you fascinating? I know, probably didn't expect fascinating and fund management to live in the same podcast, but here we are. Another person I've really been deep diving on lately is Marty Newmeyer, and he is a pioneer in branding. I listened to a podcast with him recently. I think it was called the Brand Master Podcast. And from that, I ordered a bunch of his books, and I'll put some links in the show notes, but check this out. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. Since our founding in 1989, we believe that alternative investments are integral part of client portfolios. Unfortunately, delivering high quality hedge funds and private market exposures has always been a challenge for the wealth management industry. These type of alternative investments introduce unique challenges related to taxes, qualifications, paperwork, and reporting. As a result, high net worth investors tend to be significantly underallocated to both hedge funds and private markets relative to institutional investors. That's Stephanie Lang, Chief Investment Officer from Homrick Berg, an $11 billion RIA headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, that serves over 2,700 clients in 46 states. You can tell they believe in helping high net worth clients access hedge funds and other alternative investments. They are equally as passionate about broadening that access for all their clients, not just qualified purchasers or a select group of accredited investors. Meet Nick Darsh from Ultimus with some backstory. Almerick Berg created a 3C1 fund in January 1999 to provide their high net worth and institutional investors with ready access to a diversified portfolio of hedge funds. As interest in the fund grew, 
and the constraint of the 100 investor rule loomed, HB began exploring ways to continue expanding the investor pool without negatively affecting existing shareholders. We'll hear more about the creative fund conversion work that made it possible later in the show. Now, back to the program. So he defines brand strategy as the long-term plan to outmaneuver competitors through radical differentiation. Companies believe they are being different because they know that differentiation is strategically very helpful because you don't want to be competing head-to-head with anybody. But companies underestimate how much difference you really need to make it clear that you actually are different. And he tees up this idea of an accidental brand, which is interesting because, and maybe some of us can relate to this, you know, you come up with something different, you tried it, it worked, but you don't actually know how you did it, so you can't repeat it. Yeah, so that's not enough. We can't just identify the outlier moments where we did something radically different. We need to find the repeatable differentiators that define our edge. So ask yourself, what is core to who you are, how you do what you do, why you do it, that is also very different than your peers? And that's going to take some bravery to find your fascinating, by the way. That's okay. We're in it together. Marty also talks about this concept of category of one. And this is interesting because, of course, in the fund business, like what category or asset class you're in is very important, right? Everybody wants to make sure they're in the right category or I don't belong in a category. Don't put me in a box, you know, that whole narrative there. And I get that because you don't want to be the best long-only U.S. value manager or the top global fixed income manager. That's fleeting to go back to what Sally Hogs had said. You know, you battle your way to the top position in a category, but it's very unlikely that you'll stay there. The persistence is going to be low. Instead, what if you created your own category, a category of one? And the way you get there is by being a specialist, by owning a niche. And if you've listened to this podcast, you may remember the episode with Simon Evan Cook. I don't know what number episode that is off the top of my head but I will also put that in the show notes. And he really holds a masterclass in the art of differentiation. So he says he's not interested in the average fund manager. In fact, he's like, they're not even worth holding. What he's looking for is the exceptional, the different, the Marmite fund manager, as he calls them. And if you listen to that podcast, you know, I'm apparently getting a shipment of Marmite here that I will be taste testing on video. But the idea of that Marmite thing is it's something that, attracts and repels. And that can apply to us as people. It can apply to our companies, our funds. And that's exactly what Simon Evan Cook was leaning into. He's saying, I want the disagreeable fund manager. I want the one who challenges the status quo, who doesn't follow the norm. And so that forces us to ask ourselves, are we being brave enough to attract and repel? Are we leaning into what we stand for and what we stand against. And that is actually a really big unlock to ask yourself what you stand against. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Okay, there's another podcast we did with James Fletcher, founder and portfolio manager at Ethos. 
And he gave a great example of differentiation in edge when he talked about how they view culture as a big driver of return in the companies they invest in. And he shared some research around that thesis and he gave some examples of investments they've made and the role culture played in that decision-making process. And culture alpha, if that's such a thing, is an edge at ethos. So I want to talk about competing and complementing. I'm going to save that. Let's spend a few minutes here on what is differentiation and what isn't. I think we know it when we see it, but let's try to put some framework around that. So too often, our answer to what makes us different sounds like everyone else's. Our differentiator is exactly the same. And so that's by definition, not a differentiator. And um, Dan Mikulskis in the episode with him, he talked about, you know, when you get a pitch book from a fund manager and they have like all their locations on a map and they talk about their people and the combined experience and the depth, the number of employees, and of course their values. And I get like, so the point being that everybody says those things. And I get it because it's in our nature to want to fit in. But if you want to get selected by an allocator or by a client or a prospect, you need to stand out and that requires bravery and courage. Go back to Simon Evan Cook when he talks about that disagreeable rebel fund manager. You gotta tap into that part of you. So here are a few ways you can do that. So the first obvious thing is you can kind of grab a notebook and a pen and ask yourself what makes you different. I think the challenge with that is the truisms come up. And that was something Dan Mikulskis also talked about in his episode. So ask yourself then what you don't like about your industry. So you could ask yourself what makes you different, what you stand for, right? Or you could ask yourself what you don't like about your industry, something your peers do that you disagree with or don't do, or like what pisses you off about your space. And that would be things you stand against, And I'm not talking like moral stance here. I'm just talking about things that are typically done by your peers that you don't do or you do differently, things that you stand against. And that can be kind of a really cool rallying cry. I think it taps into some emotion, which of course makes an even better story. And going back to my friend Dan again, he deep dives on differentiation or I guess the lack thereof in the asset management space. And he has a great hack for listeners, which is to ask yourself if you're defining your differentiators with truisms. I'm not going to lie. I am an English major. I still looked up truisms to make sure I could really capture the nuance of this fabulous word choice from Dan. And it's a statement that is obviously true. And what I liked about his usage of it was he said, for which there's not really a valid counter argument. Meaning when you articulate your edge or your differentiator, ask yourself if the opposite is also valid. If the opposite is also valid, then you've hit on something. If the opposite is not really valid, it might be a truism. So for example, if you said our people are a differentiator, like we have great people, is the opposite of that a valid statement? Is there an asset management firm who could come out and say, our people are not our differentiator. In fact, our people suck. That's not really a valid statement. So our people are differentiators is a truism. Alternatively, you could say, we believe that a portfolio of best ideas should not be more than 15 names, 
right? That's a differentiator for us. Or maybe it's 10. I don't know. Someone could take the other side of that and still make a valid statement, right? They could say, we believe a portfolio of the best ideas can have 25 positions in it. It's valid. So that's an example of how you can know if you're sort of getting stuck in truisms. The other thing that I like to do there is if we're working on something, marketing or sales, copy or content, and we could just swap out the name of our client and insert the name of any of their competitors and the statement still holds, that's not a differentiated statement. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. When we first launched our internal fund of funds as a limited partnership, it was a great option for us to be able to provide 100 of our accredited and qualified purchaser clients with access to a diversified portfolio of hedge fund strategies. However, fast forward to 2016, our firm had grown to manage over 4 billion and serve over 1,000 clients of various sizes, accreditations, and tax situations. We still firmly believe that high-quality hedge fund exposure is important to client portfolios. It provides stability to client portfolios and generates a return stream that was not available in public and equity and fixed income markets. Unfortunately, the 3C1 structure with its slot limitations, high minimums, and K1 reporting was no longer ideal solution for our growing and complex client base. We looked at various alternative options with third-party hedge fund managers, liquid hedge mutual funds, but also discovered that we had an opportunity to register our fund with the SEC, preserve its extensive track record, and solve all of the issues that the 3C1 structure was creating for our business and clients. That's when we teamed up with Ultimus to begin the process of registering our legacy fund with the SEC and converting it to a tender offer fund. We'll hear more later in the show. Now, back to the program. Speaking of statements, let's go back to Marty Neumeyer. One of the books I got after listening to his podcast episode was called Zag. And there's an exercise in Zag. There's so many cool things in that book, by the way. Um, But there's an exercise in there on how to create an onlyness statement. And I'm going to need, I don't even know if I printed this, which is going to really stink because I can't tell you what it is. Shoot, I will put that in the show notes. It's basically, I think this is going to be off the cuff, but we are the only insert offering in our insert category that insert benefit. Kind of hard to hear that and not visualize it. But what you're trying to get to is like, it's almost that cross thing that we talk about. What are the unique elements, maybe things that don't even seem related, that when you cross them, create a category of one and can create this onlyness statement. Not in like a hyperbole way, by the way. I'm not a fan of like, we're the best or like, we're the only, unless you do it with things are just really uniquely different. Okay. Another thing you can do to get at your differentiators is old way versus new way the old game versus new game. And the master of this, in my mind, is Andy Raskin. He talks a lot about strategic narrative and around paradigm shifts. And I'm like, someday I'm going to ask him to be on this podcast, but I'm so not ready for that. I hope he will come and share his expertise with us. Old way versus new way. Like, 
you know how everybody in everybody who's a value investor does this? Well, we do that, right? It's also that zag idea, old way versus new way. One of the examples that Andy Raskin often uses is when Salesforce.com came out and Mark Benioff said, you know, software is the old way and cloud is the new way, right? A big shift in which there will be winners and losers. So that's a way to get to differentiation. And Ron Carson in our podcast episode, if you listen to that one, talked about differentiation the same, that old way versus new way. And he actually went back to kind of the early days of of his career saying the original old game was financial advisors and mutual fund companies, you know, used to treat clients as a number. There was no fiduciary responsibility. They weren't sitting on the same side of the table as their clients. And kind of the first big shift that had to happen was was that, right? The opposite of that, fiduciary, removing conflict of interest, uh, you know, fee only, all of that stuff, disclosures. But now he did a, a second old way versus new way where he talked about the idea that that the new way today is leveraging technology and innovation to scale, which typically was not in the realm of the financial advisor, while not losing what makes us special and unique. So kind of combining repeatability and tech and scalability with specialization. Oh yeah, here, I found that our offering is the only, so it's our offering is the only thing in the category that has this benefit. So I was, I was right. Okay, sorry, jumping around a little. Okay. So let's summarize. The big thing I want you to take away from this podcast episode is that the industry really wants to create a zero-sum game or believes that getting selected by an allocator is a zero-sum game, that somebody loses in order for you to win, and that's not true. There isn't just one allocation or one manager in an asset class. There's usually multiple for many reasons on manager diversification, concentration risk, business risk, all of those things. But also just from the very basic idea that people and funds are different and that the sum of the parts, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so complement instead of compete. Zag when everybody else is zigging. And if we can't get there, then as allocators or prospects or clients are looking at us, they are going to be trying to find points of differentiation. And oh, by the way, that's where fees come in and it becomes a race to the bottom. We don't want to do that. Okay. We also don't want to battle our way to the top of an existing category. Okay. We'd rather have a category of one. And that means being a specialist, not a generalist and niching down. And I know that's terrifying to people because if you're building a business, you're thinking, great, Stacey's telling me I have to niche down, which means now I'm marketing to a much smaller group of people and she's totally killing my odds for success here. And it's, I know that that's a real fear, but I am telling you that it's a myth. When you try to be everything to everyone, you end up meaning, you fail to mean anything to anyone at all. You want to be a meaningful specific. I know you think you want to cast the widest net, but I'm challenging you to think differently about that. When you broaden your prospect pool and you try to be everything to everyone, you're also broadening your competitive pool. Everyone becomes a competitor. Let's find a small, passionate audience that's being underserved and serve them by what you are uniquely good at. 
your differentiated, unique authority, unique ability, unique offering. And remember too, that brand is a perception in your investor's mind, not what you say your brand is. So don't forget to keep a pulse and kind of ask your investors, how are they using you? What do they think makes you different? Or what strategies or funds are you complementing? And, and how are, what is that differentiation? Oftentimes that allocator is trying to balance out exposures or even results in experience or how managers think and, and what makes their process unique. I want to also talk about and end with Daniel Crosby's podcast which, I mean, is just like a masterclass in behavioral everything. And I'm going to have him on the podcast again. uh, We're going to do a little mini series, so stay tuned for that. But he talks about how our brains want to answer an easier question. So quantitatively, when they're looking at like a big group of funds, they're going to weed out the funds that just aren't good. And then our brain's going to whittle it down, you know, wants to whittle it down to a short list. But at that point, the subconscious buying kicks in right? Because 95% of decision-making happens in our subconscious, even in the investment world. And Daniel talked about that likability or the power of authenticity in the beer question, which is typically given in the context of voting and the idea that when you're trying to square a whole bunch of different things that are very big and very complex, sometimes you want to just get down to the nitty gritty, which is what I want to have a beer with this person. Are they likable? Do I think they're authentic? Differentiation can hide in our eccentricities. What makes us different, what makes us fascinating is often at the edges. So I'm here to encourage you to be brave, be willing to attract and repel. Here's to the rare birds. If you know a fund manager or a founder in the investment world with a great story, Drop a note to Stacy at stacyhavener.com and tell me about it. Till next time, I'm Stacy Havener. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. The conversion of Hamrick Berg's LP into an integral fund empowered them to grow the fund from 90 million to over 200 million and expand the reach from 100 investors to nearly 700 new investors and continues to grow today. By pursuing the conversion, Hamrick Berg was able to lower minimums to 25,000, welcome accredited investors in addition to qualified purchasers. The entire conversion process was highly efficient because Hamrick Berg chose to partner with Ultimus and other partners with a proven track record in this type of structure-to-structure product transition. The headlines are often too focused on new interval funds from pedigreed providers this new fund from this cool big firm, etc. Maximizing a fund's potential through a conversion can be powerful too, as we see in the story of Hallmark Berg. Traditional investment management and alternative investment management are converging. More retail investors are demanding access to non-correlated strategies in illiquid asset classes to complement or supplement public markets exposure. Interval and tender offer funds offer managers a flexible wrapper that combines many of the benefits of both 1940 Act and private fund structures. Interest in these products has increased significantly in the past decade, and we anticipate the volume of both new launches and structure conversions to continue well into the future.
podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment values may fluctuate, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. All opinions expressed by guests on the show are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those at their firm. Manager's appearance on the show does not constitute an endorsement by Stacey Havener or Havener Capital Partners.